Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and we are back. Yes, the Transfer Window podcast has returned from its first ever little sabbatical. We are very, very pleased that you have stuck with us these last couple of weeks and asked us, where the hell are you? When are you coming back? And the answer is, well, here we are. We're back. And I'm Ian McGarry, as usual. That's who I normally call myself. And Duncan Castles is also returning to the coalface of the transfer window business. Lots of news as ever for you on today's podcast. Manchester City, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, all on our agenda today, along with a few other little features as you are used to. Duncan, we are going to start with our listeners, one of their favourite subjects, as we know from the feedback that we get which of course is Manchester United and in particular Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, We have information here at the Transfer Window podcast that before the holiday period um, over Christmas, Solskjaer's agent, uh, Jim Solbakken, had understood that there was an open invitation from Ed Woodward and Manchester United for him to have a meeting, albeit virtual, if not in person, to discuss the contract situation of the current Old Trafford manager. That situation is that there is one year left on his current deal um, beyond this summer. And at the time, um, and this is, as I said, prior to the holiday period and then post holiday period when United were briefly top of the English Premier League, that uh, they would discuss an extension to the contract that Solskjaer currently has at the club. Now, interestingly, Duncan, that information was certainly accurate at the time, but we have since obtained information that Solbakken's attempts to tie down a meeting with the club, with Ed Woodward, Matt Judge, or indeed the Glazers themselves, um, all of which have been um, rebuked. And Solbakken is getting a little bit nervous about the fact that his client uh, is 18 months out of contract and was, in his view, unable to take advantage of the um, upturn in form which United showed over in the last eight weeks, which of course has since gone the other way um, in terms of results and points gained in the Premier League. And 
uh, United have gone from being a club who certainly were being talked about as potential champions um, are now looking to make top four, something that Solskjaer himself has admitted. Um, it's never a good look, Duncan, when your agent tells you, uh, oh, don't worry, it's all under control. Uh, you know, I've got a meeting with the chief exec or the deputy chief exec or whatever, and we're going to be talking about new terms as well as the extension and everything else. What can we read into this with regards to what United feel about Solskjaer's performance? Because let's face it, he has been shielded in many, many ways against runs of bad results so far. This latest run of form um, doesn't look good on him. And especially as uh, it looked from the outside that he had found his best team and his best formula for winning football matches. Uh, that since has not uh, shown to be the case. So in, if you were Saul Bakken, uh, Solskjaer's agent, if you're Solskjaer, what are you thinking now with regards to what, what the future holds? Well, I think it's no surprise that Saul Bakken would be taking advantage of that purple period um, where Manchester United managed to get to the top of the league. And as you say, people were talking about them as as being back, as being um, potential favourites to to win the title with the, the way in which Liverpool had dropped off to try and have that conversation and try and get um, an extension on the contract and improve financial terms for his client. Uh, as you say, there have been many periods where it looked like Solskjaer um, was more likely to go out the door at Old Trafford and he'd managed to survive them with results on the pitch at, at key moments and um, and Edward Wood's support uh, that uh, the cultural reboot was was working well, that progress was being made, um, that there were positive signs and uh, and that they would continue along this path. But you know there's one there is a significant difference between sticking with a manager um, and deciding to extend his contract, committing to him in the longer term. And you know, this is in a backdrop where you know, very accomplished uh, managers who have been in charge of clubs of, of Manchester United's dimension um, are available or have been available. They've missed out on Maurizio Pochettino, obviously, a, 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 an individual that they had wanted and thought about as a manager for a, a long period when he went to Paris Saint-Germain. But you still have Max Allegri out of a job in Italy. Um, as we've talked about in the podcast, keen to get back to work. His initial plan was to take a year out of football. Um, that has dragged on into a second season. Um, he has an invitation from Roma to take over. As, as manager under the new ownership regime there, which is of interest to him, but I'm told he's not prepared at present um, to jump in mid-season for a club like Roma. In fact, uh, the, the information I have is the only club he would really want to jump straight back into work mid-season, not having the benefit of a, of a pre-season and not um, having the benefit of transfer planning is Real Madrid. Um, so. The Glazers and Ed Woodward should be conscious of Allegri's availability and they should be conscious that Real Madrid are 
again thinking of changing Zidane and there's an opportunity to hire the guy. I think in the recent drop-off of form, and, and you're right to say that, look, less than three weeks ago, Manchester United were top of the league. You've now They've now taken just 10 points from the last seven, including playing all of the bottom three clubs. Um, and they're now seven points adrift of, of Manchester City, who are on an unprecedented winning run, uh, with a game more played. So I think the title, if it ever was a, a realistic possibility, and personally, I never thought it was and said so, um, has gone. And we've heard Solskjaer himself talking about that and, and some very edgy comments after the draw with Everton that they should not even have been considered um, title contenders. Uh, and then having to uh, kind of t- try and tidy those up after um, the latest draw with West Brom and saying that he never said that they weren't trying for the title. It was that they, they, he was talking about the media's uh, response to the club. But... Uh, you know, not a good look with a lot of Manchester United fans. The statement after being top of the league that they they should never be thought about as title contenders. But you you now have them in a a position where, although Solskjaer is talking about we have to chase and we have to keep the pressure on Manchester City, up us and Leicester City. He's talking about and uh, you know it's notable that Leicester City are on the same points total as Manchester United at this stage, just behind them in goal difference. Um, He's talking about that, but actually the Champions League place, which is the one that's the defining factor in the Glazer era over changing managers. David Moyes loses his job because he fails to qualify for the Champions League. Jose Mourinho also loses his job when there are question marks over whether they will qualify for the Champions League. The the pressure on Solskjaer last season to get them there and, and getting in. I think that is very open in this season. If you you know you look at the points totals and you can go all the way down to uh, Tottenham with 36 points after a, a, a terrible run of results. Um, but they are 10 points behind Manchester United with a game in hand. Um, you have Aston Villa, 10 points behind with two games in hand on a very strong season. You have Everton, nine points behind with two games in hand. Um, Liverpool, if they can get themselves back together, are six points behind. West Ham United are just four points behind them. Chelsea on an excellent run, just four points behind. So there's no guarantees on those Champions League places. So I think you're, you're back in a situation now where the Glazers will be thinking... Edward Wood likes this guy and it has been pushing him and he likes the uh, he's trying to promote that the cultural reboot was a success. Um, we're not really contenders for the title, but the Glazers aren't particularly interested in that. Can he keep us in the Champions League places which are fundamental to making a profit from this club in normal years when COVID uh, isn't affecting the income? Um, how much have we invested in this manager? He's been in place for over two years. Well, you see from the public statements of Ed Woodward, uh, uh, you know, a very specific comment that they think they have spent more net on transfers across the last um, four transfer windows than any other club in European football. So Solskjaer has had a, a huge amount of support to change the team. But if you go and do a comparison from what he inherited that 2017-18 season um, where they reached the FA Cup final and they finished with 81 points. 
Um, this Manchester United team, for all we've heard this talk about progress and for all the the, the plaudits he's, he has had um, for their style of play, are on course for 73 points. To match that 81-point return, they'd have to win 11 and draw two of their remaining 14 matches. Um, and that with a squad which is clearly better than the 2017-18 squad. Um, they have very, very strong midfield, six top international midfielders to play from. Um, they have a, a high-quality attack that Dinson Cavani's been added to. Uh, Solskjaer spent record sums on a right-back and a centre-back in his first summer window. Compare the Manchester United defence and the amount of money that's been spent on it with the most regular starting defenders of that 2017-18 season and you will see that they were Antonio Valencia basically in his final season, proper season as a as a functioning top level footballer with a serious um, injury that he had to manage through that season. Chris Smalling, Phil Jones and Ashley Young. Yet you've got Solskjaer um, through his ex-teammates in the media briefing that he needs more in the transfer market and specifically what areas are people like Gary Neville talking about as being priorities. They're talking about right back and centre back, the two areas where he spent record transfer fees um, for players in that first summer window. So you can understand why the Glazers will be wanting to hang fire on this and see what the final return is on the season, see if he can get them Champions League football um, before committing to a manager who, you know, by any rational analysis, as we've said in the Transfer Window podcast time and time again, is not elite level and has demonstrated that in his performance being in charge of an elite level football club. On two factors, Duncan, I wonder about Solskjaer's position now as to his position, let's just say, at the beginning of this season. The first would be, uh, it's certainly the case that um, his status as fans, um, hero, legend of the club, etc., etc., um, was a protection, uh, not just against criticism from fans, but as you've already mentioned, um, former teammates as well. And that, if you like, the temptation to sack him, which had always been prevalent um, given his lack of experience at elite level coaching, um, was probably staved off by um, his reputation as a player and club legend um, there. So what, how does that differ now? Well, he's been there two years in charge. Results have been, in the main, pretty much similar. They have um, good spells and bad spells. Uh, still haven't won any trophies. But they, uh, what, what they do appears to be enough to satisfy those at the top of the administration tree with regards to uh, Solskjaer retaining his job. However, what's changed, I believe, and what um, Solskjaer now faces is that um, 
the Glazers and Woodward himself, who is obviously the, his most supportive um, person at the club with regards to um, retaining him in his job because it was effectively his appointment, um, is that, well, you know, he needs a chance to prove himself. That chance has now been provided. It has expired. And Manchester United do not look any better off than they did uh, when Solskjaer began in his current job. And therefore, that um, that rub of uh, gold that comes with being, you know, the status of, uh, that Solskjaer has at the club has eroded and diminished. And therefore, I think an awful lot more fans who would have supported Solskjaer previously um, would not complain if he were to be sacked and someone else replace him. Which brings me to my second point. Frank Lampard's sacking by Chelsea was seen as, um, generally speaking, brutal and, well, depending on what side of the argument you're on, um, unjustified. The fact of the matter is, we're six games in now since Lampard uh, was relieved of his duties and um, our friend Big Tam Tuchel has not lost a game. He's drawn one, one five, one goal conceded. And even Chelsea fans who are extremely loyal to their own legends like Lampard, Terry, Czech, etc., etc., are not really complaining about the fact that Lampard is no longer there. Now, I think that Solskjaer's position has shifted slightly in terms of the light which has been shown upon that, okay, let's hire a club legend, let's get him to get the feel-good factor back, you know, let's see if we can succeed with a relatively um, inexperienced or non-elite coach, but someone who knows the club and knows the club well and, and who can inspire because of his knowledge of the history and the traditions of the club that he's in charge of. I think Lampard's sacking probably has had an effect on Manchester United in terms of how they look upon Solskjaer now. So Solskjaer's in, I think, quite an invidious position whereby he is desperately trying to improve um, the form of the club and, of course, uh, each individual player, but at the same time, battling against what is inconsistency in terms of results, as well as um, not having full control over transfers. Um, and as you've rightly pointed out, this is a guy who has said his um, priorities in terms of summer signings are a centre-back and a right-back, having already spent £135 million on exactly those two positions in the last two years. So you cannot possibly justify um, Solskjaer as someone who is adept 
in the transfer market if he needs to renew or indeed augment that which he has already spent a lot of money on. So I think there's a big, big um, sort of moment, if you like, and certainly from now until the end of the season, I don't believe Solskjaer will be sacked before the end of the season. Um, but there's certainly um, a time in the history of Manchester United whereby they will be scrutinising Solskjaer's position between now and the end of the season, how they end up, do they win any trophies, do they get Champions League? Because I think now they're in a position, as I said um, initially, whereby they will not feel guilty, nor will they feel that they didn't give Solskjaer a chance to prove himself to be a Manchester United manager. And therefore, as you said, um, with guys like Max Allegri available, um, can join straight away, no compensation. Even someone like Julian Nagelsmann at RB Leipzig, who may well be leaving this summer as well, having had his squad reduced um, to his detriment in terms of his ability to compete uh, both in the Bundesliga and Champions League, um, they might well look and say, okay, well, if Chelsea have gone for experience in uh, Tuchel, then maybe we need to go back to that plan A, whereby um, we don't put our trust in someone just because he's a big name at the club, uh, but we put ourselves instead in the hands of a coach who has proven himself to be a winner and someone who knows what he's doing with senior players, with elite players in an elite club. Look, I think there's no doubt that Solskjaer's appointment has bought the Glazers and bought Edward with time and allowed them to sell this story of cultural reboot. We are going back to the Manchester United way. Um, we're investing in young players. It's going to take time to get back to um, what you as supporters expect. Um, obviously, he's had they've, they've been helped with that because of Solskjaer's friends in the punditry world who have um, still to this point, the majority of those ex-Manchester United teammates refuse to criticise explicitly anything he's done um, in this period. So that has bought them time. Um, and I think also because the squad has been significantly improved during that period, um, and a lot of players moved out, not all the players that needed to be moved out, but a lot of them have now gone, that it makes it easier for a better quality manager. And you know, you said that Solskjaer is inexperienced. He's not inexperienced. He's had over a decade in management. It's just he hasn't had much experience of top level management. But a better quality manager would be expected to come in and put better results together straight away uh, because the watermark isn't very high. The, the, the story of progress is essentially built on how poor Solskjaer made the team in terms of lack of trophies, uh, lack of points over um, the period in which he took charge of the club. So two, two finishes, points total in, in the Premier League, the second lowest points total in the Premier League was what he's put together back to back. So now this season where they're on course for um, uh, you know, a total in the low 70s, that looks like progress. Playing better attacking football looks like progress. Um, 
they have been helped by refereeing decisions. I think it's notice, noticeable that this year um, you see the results go backward when they only get two penalties in the Premier League. You know, you you, you watch that game with West Bromwich Albion in which, you know, very interesting statistic to in terms of looking at the XG for that game. And XG is, a, is a, a dubious statistic, but it is a guiding one. And it's particularly a guiding one in a game in which a, a team is chasing a win, which is what Manchester United were. Manchester United recorded less than 0.5 XG against West Bromwich Albion, a team who have been hammered on multiple occasions this season. And actually the lowest XG for a team uh, playing against um, West Bromwich in the league they have these defensive issues, which many of which are centred around those two players that Solskjaer brought in as priority signings. Wan-Bissaka is a great one-on-one defender, but he's positionally suspect still. And Harry Maguire um, has a huge number of problems with his lack of pace and um, and positionally being poor. His, his strength is in the duels, but you see him in that West Brom game being bowled over in the in a duel in which uh, they could have ended up uh, losing the game, um, handing over what was uh, one of West Brom's better chances in the match. West Brom did have the better chances. Their XG was double uh, Manchester United's in that game. If you do the comparison um, for last season on XG, again, you know, with the caveat of it being a, you know, it's not a perfect statistic, their actual expected goals for this season across the whole of the Premier season is almost identical to that of the 2019-20 season and defensively they are 0.17 per game worse. So you, I think you see a team, as I said before we took our break, um, regressing to the mean. Um, this, this is pretty much what Manchester United have been and I know there are players in the camp who are not surprised that when they got in a position um, to be talked about as title contenders, that they very rapidly slip back to where they are because they're, they they think they're actually doing better um, than the than they expected um, going into the season. And, and this is really what the, the quality of the team as a unit with the manager they have in charge, w- w- in the manner in which he directs the team, the tactical plans he gives them, the way he motivates them, the way he talks to them, the way he changes um, the the team in game. This is pretty much what they'd expect. So it is an interesting time for the Glazers and for Solskjaer. And I think, um, yeah, he, he I can understand why Saul Bakken was trying to get him that new contract. And, uh, and I think he's got quite a lot to prove in the remainder of the season um, if he is to ever get another new contract at Manchester United. Interesting as well, Duncan. Um, and we, we obviously have an open invite to our friend Gary Neville to come on to the Transfer Window podcast and discuss Manchester United and Solskjaer with us. Uh, still waiting for that to be taken up, but we are still hopeful um, that Gary will join us at some point. But it was he who pointed out um, on Sky Sports on Monday night that the Ferdinand Vidage partnership, which is the most comparable in terms of games, etc., uh, to the Lindelof Maguire 
um, yielded um, less than 0.8 goals per game, as well as uh, when they played together, the average goals uh, scored was over 2.2 in that time. Now, and this is the key phrase, Neville said, um, with reference to Maguire and Lindelof, that the average concession of goals per game under those two players was 1, 1.0. So more than um, a third than under Vidic and Ferdinand. And also the um, points taken, where was 2.2 under Vidic Ferdinand um, was reduced, is reduced to at this moment in time, 1.78 goals per game. And in his own words, and I said, Gary, you're welcome anytime to come on and give us a, a, a fuller briefing on this. You're not going to win the league or anything of any significance with centre-back pairing who give away a goal a game. It just wouldn't work. Um, and that is squarely at the foundation of Manchester United's problems right now is the fact that they don't, ha don't have that defensive stability that's required in order to make a fist of a challenge for either the Premier League or Champions League or indeed another trophy which is of equal significance. Um, I th look, I, I think, Ian, those um, goals against figures actually flatter uh, Maguire and Lindelof because in a lot of those games, United have played with a low block and played on the counter-attack. Um, they've done that for a long time. In fact, Solskjaer, after he beat um, Liverpool in a pretty marginal victory in a cup tie, talked about how he'd had to use those kind of tactics to get good results against the better team and that they were now making a statement. They'd made a statement to themselves by going and playing offensive football against the strong side and winning the match. Um, so, you know, the, the goals against are better than they should be because they've played defensively with that setup and they've played with a low block because that's what suits Maguire. I think the most interesting, <laughs> well. the most interesting thing Neville said was with Maguire, you cannot play a high line. Um, with the Maguire-Lindelof partnership, you can't play a high line. You might as well have said with Maguire, you can't play a high line. And that's the fundamental issue, I think, because you need aggressive defenders who push the line up, who take risks, who back themselves uh, to win one-on-one -on -one when the ball is placed in behind them, as Virgil van Dijk does and, and why Virgil van Dijk's been, one of the reasons why van Dijk's been so pivotal to Liverpool's recent success. And Maguire can't do that because he, he doesn't have the pace and he doesn't position himself well. And, you know, some Manchester United supporters picked up on on something that was put out in, on Harry Maguire's agent's social media after the Sheffield United game, highlighting a statistic that he had completed 21 of 22 long balls, which was the highest number for uh, of completed long balls in the Premier League game this season. And this was after a match in which they'd lost 2-1 to Sheffield United in the midst of what had been the worst start to a Premier League season 
ever. You know, that this to be bragging about long ball um, pass, pass completion statistics when you're losing a match to a team like Sheffield United and when there are, you know, those fundamental problems with his defensive performance, which is why you have Neville criticising Maguire now. Um, it's, it's, it's not what you'd expect of champions when you are a club of Manchester United stature. And some other people also pointed out the inconsistency with Solskjaer talking about you shouldn't be talking about us as contenders to what he said um, in 2017-18 season when Manchester United finished second um, while he was still manager in Norway. His, his response to that second place was second place, yeah, they're back in the Champions League, but I don't think any of the Man United supporters or ex-players or players are happy with a second place where it should be a top spot. Now, there's quite a contrast in what he was saying when he was safely tucked away in Norway to what he's saying when he is in the hot seat um, and he's in charge of a team um, who are significantly off the, the points pace that that team he was criticising for finishing second uh, achieved. Well, in terms of um, comic football genius, I would like to take the opportunity at this point to um, say my old friend Daniel Levy is selling memorabilia with regards to the um, Carabao Cup final. You can get a key fob for twelve ninety nine, uh, commemorating the fact that Spurs are in a cup final, uh, as well as other things. Uh, if you go online to um, Spurs dot whatever it is uh, and uh, let's just say it could be lined up with Oligan or Solskjaer's comic football genius with regards to some comments um, on a more serious note Duncan um, the demise of Frank Lampard at Chelsea has uh, also had an impact on the potential future movement of Declan Rice the West Ham uh, you'd have to say mainstay uh, central defensive midfielder whom Lampard actually saw as a commanding and leading centre-back uh, is no longer on um, the transfer list of recruitment possibilities for the Stamford Bridge Club but has certainly roused the interest of Liverpool and Manchester United, both of whom have expressed interest to Rice's agent, as we understand, and have asked to be kept informed of any offers made for the England international um, as he uh, looks to progress his own career. We know that he uh, was keen on a move back to Chelsea, the club where he joined their academy before leaving age 16 uh, for West Ham and obviously uh, becoming a regular in the first team there. But clearly Champions League football and um, playing for a top six club would be uh, a temptation um, for Rice in terms of furthering his career both as uh, in domestic football and as an England international in the year of the European 
championships. It's our information that uh, United at this moment in time are the greater in terms of being interest in Rice of the two clubs. Uh, that's also um, based upon uh, the possibility of players leaving Old Trafford, however, and uh, clearly what's been going on uh, over the last few weeks has been a rotational system where Fred, Scott McTominay and Nemanja Matic um, have been involved at playing certain games and being left out of certain games. Uh, it's our information that one of those players more or less need to be shipped out in order for Rice to um, join Manchester United, both on the basis of fee, wages, contract, uh, because at this moment in time, uh, the financial situation at the club is such that they would prefer not to simply add another number and another expensive player to their roster of 25-man squad. They would um, instead prefer to uh, at least dispose of one of those players um, in order to make it more feasible for them to sign Rice and is most certainly a player with a sell-on value and also with um, a lot of potential with regards to developing his game and making himself uh, a much better player than he is already. Um, Duncan, I, I, I can see a future for Rice to Manchester United in terms of the way they play, but I have to say that um, in the current way that they play with the double pivot defensive midfield and Fernandez is effectively playing as number 10. They do lack creativity outside of Fernandez. I mean, Fernandez doesn't play or if he's being rested or whatever, um, they do seem to lack um, that kind of spice, if you like, that um, notional um, ability to uh, break teams down in one pass. Rice isn't really going to improve that for United. So I would say it would have to be someone like Fred or Matic who left, who are definitely enforcers rather than they are creative midfielders in their own right. Well, I don't see Scott McTominay being allowed to leave Manchester United. He has uh, he's been on a great development path there. He's one of the preferred midfield pair that that Solskjaer uses, uh, in, particularly in the more difficult matches of, of McTominay and Fred, because he feels that gives them more mobility and more defensive resilience, um, relatively cheap in terms of wages, uh, young um, and popular with the supporters. Um, Matic, I think, is the one you would expect to uh, United to try and sell in those circumstances, given the amount of game time he's had relative to the others. You also have the Paul Pogba um, conundrum to be solved um, with his contract running down and statements from his agent that uh, that he definitely wants out and that United should sell sooner than, uh, than later and to risk losing him for no money. Um, 
Raiola has had stayed quiet on that more recently as Pogba's been back in the team. And, and I think it's also been noticeable that Pogba's been missed in these last few matches um, because of that absence of, of uh, creativity that you mentioned. I think with Rice, you also see the possibility that he could be used as a centre-back. So if you were to go for a player like that and you have a defensive midfielder and you have a uh, a centre-back option, and you know, as we've said in this pod, uh, this particular edition, that's one of the areas that Solskjaer is briefing that he wants to improve in. In general, you'd expect Manchester United to be trying to take advantage of the transfer market situation where... Most clubs have got serious restrictions on what they're going to be able to do in the coming market. Um, prices should be coming down to try and pick off players of that quality um, and and get them in at, in this coming window and add to that um, you know quite significant improvement that's been made to the squad over the last uh, uh, two uh, major summer windows. So. It, it makes sense for them. He fits the profile um, of uh, England international, uh, young age, um, as a as a certain degree of social media appeal, which which appeals to to Woodward. So yeah, it makes sense that they should be trying uh, to take advantage of Lampard leaving Chelsea and Chelsea stepping away from that uh, pursuit of of a player who, as you said on this podcast, West Ham United are a club who will sell if the the money on offer is correct. That's their history under these owners. Um, and as you've just explained, that the player has a motivation to switch to a club where he will have more chance of, uh, of being a regular for the national team. Indeed, that would be the case, um, given the current circumstances and uh, with the European Championships delayed, as we know, coming up uh, this summer. Carl Southgate has been seen regularly at West Ham United Games watching Declan Rice, amongst others, with regards to the progress that's being made. And, Duncan, we should really say, quite significant progress um, under the, uh, the great one, David Moyes, uh, in terms of their position. I mean, who would have thought that West Ham United would be in 42 points at this stage in the season and chasing a Champions League place. Indeed, um, one of the strongest managerial performances of this um, season uh, to have West Ham United at that end of the table and the points they have, the number of games that are left to play, the inconsistencies of everyone apart from Manchester City. Um, you know, they have a right to, to dream that they could get a Champions League place themselves out of this season. Well, all credit to him, as I'm sure Moisey would say. One of the transfer sagas which continues to rumble on uh, over the course of the, this season is that of Leo Messi and Barcelona. Um, there are mixed messages uh, everywhere, it seems, in terms of the parties involved. Uh, especially as Barcelona's uh, fortunes improve uh, in terms of their form in both La Liga and elsewhere. But the fact of the matter is that Messi is out of contract in June and can leave Barcelona for no fee. Now, we have, as I'm sure you all know, 
um, been very much at the forefront of reporting the news on Messi and his contract situation, his um, personal situation, as well as the um, circumstances around his relationship with Barcelona uh, and what may or may not happen after this summer. Our latest update has come from a very, very uh, reliable source with regards to um, the interest from Manchester City, Leo Messi's future. Uh, You will remember that we first reported um, what has become a big story in European football in the last two weeks, Uh, Messi's contract details uh, at Barcelona now, and indeed what he has been offered by Manchester City. It is our sources who have told us a meeting between Messi's representatives, specifically his father, George, has seen a reduction in the value of the contract offer from Manchester City. The original offer was 700 million euros or just under. It's our understanding that that offer has gone down to 500 million euros over the course of the next eight to 10 years. And as we explained, that includes playing in the MLS and potentially being an ambassador for Emirates, who of course are the funders and owners of Manchester City and New York City, as well as six other clubs in different leagues around the world. That is based on the fact that A, um, another season has passed by and Messi is still playing in Barcelona. Secondly, um, and probably more importantly, Duncan, that Manchester City themselves as a let's just say, serious football club. Um, And I say that with reference to the potential of Messi playing in New York City, where, yes, it's serious, but in MLS terms, it's serious, which is obviously different from English Premier League and Champions League. And um, the offer is based upon him playing for the next three years up to for City and then going to America. But more importantly, from City's point of view, is they have now um, effectively conceded that um, their point striker and main influence in terms of goals um, in this um, successful era of Sheikh Mansour, uh, when they've won multiple Premier League titles, and have challenged in the Champions League, etc., um, is not going to be the same. Aguero's injury record, his age, um, have both contributed uh, to the fact that City now see the replacement of Aguero with a younger version, if you like, of himself as a priority and a priority that will take place this summer. And therefore, City's enthusiasm to sign Messi as a present and near future superstar stroke ambassador for City Football Group has been diminished slightly because of the money that they know they will have to invest 
in a striker who can replace Aguero. They have tried in the signings of um, Inianacho and Gabriel Jesus to do this already in the last seasons. And I think most people who um, analyse English football would say that neither players come close to Aguero's effectiveness, nor indeed their stats and numbers have been anywhere near Aguero's either with regards to um, the goals produced, assists uh, made, uh, chances created, etc. So, um, City have a choice to make. It could be they choose to go for Messi and a new striker in the form of someone like uh, Lotaro Martinez of Inter Milan, um, who would be what you would think a direct like-for-like replacement, Duncan, um, for Aguero, given his uh, style of play and also um, the way in which um, he plays in the team uh, in terms of being a point man in a front three as well. Uh, However, there obviously are other candidates available um, and obviously uh, the most talked about and most hyped striker in European football at this moment in time um, is at Borussia Dortmund. His agent, of course, is Mira Raiola, which presents a problem with regards to City's negotiations because Raiola and Guardiola have no relationship at all. But it doesn't mean to say that that would be uh, completely out of um, the question, although um, Haaland himself is not necessarily the kind of striker whom Guardiola is likely to put his faith in, having signed um, only one player of that specific stature and style uh, in his coaching career so far, and that was Zlatan Ibrahimovic for Barcelona, who promptly left after one year, having not made the grade um, there and indeed caused problems as well in terms of the dressing room. So, Duncan, um, with regards to City and strikers, um, I guess that this run they're on, and it does look like they are pretty um, much indefatigable the way they're playing at the moment. Um, Pep gets whatever he wants this summer. I I think that's a a factor. I think the most important factor here is COVID and what it's done to the transfer market. We're we're talking about Messi, um, and I think there are only two clubs who can realistically compete for his signature. One is Manchester City, who offered that 700 million euro contract in the summer. Messi was ready to come, was prevented from going to the club, taking up that offer um, because he wasn't prepared to take legal action against Barcelona. It's all on record. Um, His stance, his unhappiness is known. The other is Paris Saint-Germain, who have been very blatant in their courting of Messi. Um, and very public in their courting of Messi over the last few months to the extent that Barcelona are complaining about um, their activity around this deal, which is quite ironic given the way that uh, Barcelona have pursued players of other clubs down the years. Um, The the thing those two have in common is their nation-state clubs. So they can afford to finance this deal. They can afford to put the numbers on the table that Messi will accept. Yes, City are um, cutting the size of their offer, but then 
that they can do that in the context of the uh, there is less money in football and Messi has to be aware there's less money in football um, and they can also do it in the context of what we talked about when we discussed this this deal um, when it was offered in the summer is is this a sensible thing to do from a football perspective nation state club the pursuit of Lionel Messi was driven by Abu Dhabi's desire to sign the player they, they are on record as saying that they this is the player above all others that they would have liked to bring to the club. Now they have an opportunity to do it. They've tried on multiple occasions. It is not a clear-cut football decision to bring him into a Premier League um, environment when he's a, facing, uh, a fading physical force. Um, when part of his problem at Barcelona is wanting to play all the games and not being capable of doing that. Um, when you have a team who are on um, this 60 match unbeaten run and 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 look uh, like they're going to win another Premier League season comfortably, I, I, as they've done in the past, the other factor in there is what COVID does to Pep Guardiola. So how easy is it for Guardiola to leave Manchester City this summer and get another club, um, which will give him a substantial contract? We know he's an emotional figure. We know he's happy when results are going his way. So that that what's happening at Manchester City helps him stay there. Will Guardiola drive a move for Messi? No, I don't think he will. I think he was on board with the previous move and he was he was helping facilitate it. But it was not something that he had come to Abu Dhabi and said, "I'd really like to sign Lionel Messi. Are you behind it?" In fact, it was the opposite. Now. Then you look at again from a football perspective. If you sign Messi, you haven't got that long-term answer for the attack, and they they do have to change Aguero. They know that they have to get a replacement in for him at some point, um, and Messi is not going to be that long-term replacement. You're now shopping on a market where there's probably a limited number of top-level strikers, but most of the clubs can't compete with you and PSG are, are pushing for Messi. So that could give you a freer run um, to use those resources at a you know, someone who's been described as a generational talent like Haaland. Um, you probably get him for less money because Dortmund are in financial difficulties and need to sell players and may be persuadable to, to cash in before his uh, release clause kicks in in the next in the following summer transfer window. Um, so I think that's the background in which this is happening. And you also have to factor in that there's a presidential race in Barcelona. Um, that presidential race is at present expected to be won by Jean Laporta. Laporta does not want to be seen to be the guy who allowed Messi to leave Barcelona, just as his predecessor, uh, Bartomeu did not want to be the man who allowed Messi to leave, even though the calculation was from a financial perspective and a sporting perspective, it was probably the right thing to do. So I won't be surprised if Laporta wins the elections, that he makes an offer of substance to Messi that could be enough to tempt him to stay, let's say, one more year at the club uh, and then move on under his own volition. But whatever way it's set up, Laporta will want it seen that he is not the man allowing Messi to leave. So I think there there's three candidates 
and and they are uh, an extension at Barcelona under the new president for political purposes. Manchester City, um, but their um, ardour for the player has been diminished by their success in the field at, at present and the likelihood that Guardiola will stay. And Paris Saint-Germain, who you have to factor in what happens with Kylian Mbappé there because uh, they, they have a decision to make and Mbappé has a decision to make about whether he leaves this summer with not money in the market or whether he hangs on for another year um, until he's under freedom of contract. Well, from a personal point of view, I'd say it would be a good deal all round if um, Messi went to Celtic and uh, Austin Edward went to Barcelona uh, plus around 50 million quid. Um, that would seem to me to be a fair price uh, in terms of uh, youth and uh, ability. Um, you probably don't agree with me that Duncan um, given your allegiances elsewhere in the Scottish league. However, um, I will leave that one with our listeners and uh, you can tell us what you think. And of course, we value your opinions and that's why we reply and engage on our social media platforms. To round off today's podcast, and I have to say once again, it is a pleasure being back in your company. Uh, as it is for Duncan, I'm sure, as well. And we thank you for your patience in um, waiting for us to return. Um, As I said, it was the first short sabbatical that we've taken here on the Transfer Window podcast. So uh, it was certainly much needed for Duncan and I to recharge our batteries. And of course, in order to bring you all of the news first before anyone else indeed does so because that is exactly what we are good at heroes and villains duncan is how we're going to finish today's pod uh, it being the first of the week and uh, i would like to ask you to nominate the villain of the week please before i get the opportunity to talk about the good guys uh villain of the week has to be var related there's been a few um disasters going on during the period uh, we've we've taken a little break uh, I'll pick one um, particular example which is Dermot Gallagher that, um, that great uh, defender of, uh, of virtually all Premier League refereeing decisions the Irishman with the English accent um, uh, talking about what happened when Manchester City went en route to their comprehensive 3-0 victory over Tottenham at the weekend when Yoke Gundogan um, won a penalty um, for a clash with um, Emil Hoiberg um, and uh, actually caught Hoiberg, um, put his foot on, on Hoiberg's ankle before um, Hoiberg uh, contacted Gundogan and Gallagher was asked to explain why the VAR hadn't seen that and why uh, they hadn't overruled the penalty because there was a, a foul from Gundogan first in, in the incident and, and uh, Gallagher's explanation that there was not enough contact to give a foul, um, which makes you wonder why um, all, he supports all these marginal um, VAR decisions to give penalties and, and there have been some bizarre ones recently. But running your studs down an opponent's ankle, even if accidentally, is in Gallagher's view not enough contact for a foul. 
I'm kind of trying to think of a a life comparison, Duncan, with regards to that particular argument. And the only one that comes to mind is I was once in a curry house in Glasgow and they brought the meal out. And obviously, as you do, you know, you order your main course, but your sundries as well. So you've got your, 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 your naan breads and your, your rice and et cetera, et cetera. And I said to them, uh, the waiter, there's not enough rice there. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I ordered rice for two people because it was two of us and uh, there's not enough rice. So I wonder what Dermot Gallagher says when he's in a curry house with regards to the rice situation. Um, and we're not even talking about Declan. Um, anyways, so apologies for that, that, that mindless little uh, meander on my part. Uh, the, um, answer, the answer is it depends whether the waiter is a PGML employee or not. <laughs> and he, yeah, I didn't get a yellow card for my complaint, as I remember. <laughs> but I didn't get any more rice either. <laughs> Um, so my uh, hero of the week, funnily enough, features the same um, player that uh, uh, our lovely friend Dermot um, was quoting, Ilkay Gundan, who has basically become Manchester City's most important uh, and uh, certainly the uh, pivotal person in this 16-match unbeaten run. Um Scoring goals, creating chances. Um, he's like uh, Meza Ozil, but with a battery that's plugged in um, in terms of the way he plays and uh, scoring wonderful goals, but not only that, producing exquisite um, little movements and passages of play in terms of passing as well. Uh, someone who Pep Guardiola described only recently as the most important signing in the history of Manchester City, uh, which may or may not be the case, but uh, well done to Ilkay Gundogan, the way that he has played in the last few weeks and indeed the way that he has entertained us all. Uh, and speaking of entertainment, of course. And and, and it has to be said, missing penalties in, in pivotal games, which absolutely bring, brings which forward the, the great possibility of Ederson, um, Ederson yes. being charged with taking a penalty for Manchester City during a match uh, and us watching um, how Guardiola sets the team up to protect in case the, the penalty is safe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So well, the, uh, Ederson, the, the modern-day Hamish McAlpine, who used to take penalties oh, for the United. And a lovely moustache as well. <laughs> it really was. Um, if ever hero was invented for a moustache, it was Hamish's. Um, yes, I would love to see um, Alison... Um, getting the opportunity to save an Ederson penalty and then basically kick the ball straight up the park and score a goal um, and then turn to the fans who are not there, of course, and say, yeah, have a bit, have some of that, son. Um, there we go. And uh, as I said, uh, pleasing people is what we try to do. Uh, and, you, of course, you are all part of that community. So if you've liked what you heard, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and that increases our community and makes it easier for everyone 
to hear the Transformed Podcast, which you can also subscribe to on YouTube. Turn on all your notifications and you'll be first to find out when the new pod drops. Of course, the discussion doesn't end with the podcast, it just begins. And so please get involved on at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter uh, is our handle. And individually, I'm on at GarboSJ and Duncan is at Duncan Castles. We look forward to um, bringing you the next podcast later in the week. And until then, we, of course, ask you in this particular part of all of our lives to stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Hey.